0: A good Tuesday morning to you and welcome to Real Talk. Ryan Jesperson here on this May 25th, the first day out of the May long weekend. And on behalf of uh, Sarah Hoyles and Samuel Brooks, the entire team here, at real talk we hope that you had a fantastic long weekend this show is presented by our title sponsor the team at bitcoin well if you missed adam o'brien on the show late last week uh friday morning wasn't it who knows after after a long weekend it feels like what was it like last friday or was it january i don't remember what day was it what what day was it man what's my name what is where's my car (laughs) adam was on as part of a conversation on crypto and uh, trying to make sense of, of, of Elon Musk's puppet mastery of, of cryptocurrency. It was a great segment. You can check it out. Adam joins us uh, once a month. You can find more about what the team at Bitcoin Well does, including details on their Bitcoin ATMs across Canada by checking out the link right at the top of the sponsors page on our website, RyanJesperson.com.
1: Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson.
0: All right. So we know that that people are going to be joining us this morning from, uh, you know, Korea and New Zealand and from Costa Rica and from Belgium and all the countries that that pop up, all the jurisdictions, if you want, that pop up every week where we see where people are hitting the website from. And and we appreciate that. But every once in a while, we have to reflect the feeling, the reality, the headlines of what's going on right here in our own backyard, in our own neck of the woods. And and for a lot of people, this morning's going to feel... A little earlier I mean Tuesday after a long weekend I think especially after May long weekend Tuesday feels like it arrives a little early anyway But a lot of people were up late Watching a triple overtime Stanley Cup Playoff game uh, Between do I say Fierce rivals I mean mean, if you were a Winnipeg Jets fan in the 1980s into the 1990s You probably saw the Edmonton Oilers With a bit of like a snarl like Freaking Oilers because if it wasn't for the Oilers, and for that matter, the Calgary Flames, the Winnipeg Jets could have had a really great 1980s into the 1990s kind of a stretch run with Dale Howardchuck and the whole nine yards, Timu Solani and Teppo Newman in, and I can get into all the Keith Kachuk and Shane Doan, and I mean, I can keep going and keep going. The Winnipeg Jets last night had a, had a chance to, do I say, exercise a few demons along the way? You had, you had Connor McDavid, un, un, undisputably... Uh, the, the greatest player in the world He of 100 points in a shortened season He of the great And then Leon Dreisaitl Probably a top five player in the world too Yet it didn't matter Do we need We don't need to say spoiler alerts If you're tuning into Real Talk You're expecting You're tuning into here You're tuning into here The news of the day You're tuning in You're expecting updates You're expecting to be enlightened And, and informed And in this case Maybe just to commiserate With one another Although I know that people are going to be watching, people are going to be tuning in from Vancouver and Calgary and Toronto, and they probably love what they saw last night in midway through the third overtime, when freaking Kyle Connor, the wrong Connor, as one of my friends put it, when the wrong Connor went streaking down the right side and and sniped one past goaltender Mike Smith, ending the playoff dreams of Oilers fans everywhere in four quick games. Now Sarah Hoyles, we recognize. That you're not the biggest hockey fan in the entire world, but I can tell by your facial expression that you can kind of feel the pain.
2: Oh, I feel the pain. I am born and raised Edmontonian, so you can't help but root for the Oilers, no matter how, I mean, through the 90s, through the 2000s, when it was just painful. So this one, yeah, it was just, it snuffed out the hope after how many years of just, you know, just, you got to always root for them because you're from here, but...
0: And they were they were, down, they were down two games to nothing. They lost both the games in Edmonton. And so everybody thought, well, that's fine. All we need to do is return the favor. We need to go into Winnipeg, and we need to win two on the road. And that's fine. And we'll even up the series. And nobody thought it was going to be over in four anyway. So don't worry, Oilers. We'll don't win it in six. It. Or we'll win it in seven. We'll make it exciting for the fans. Let the advertisers get their money's worth. We'll make it seven games. Why not? Uh, game three... I don't know how many of you were watching over the weekend, but the Oilers up looking pretty good 4 one. Right. All of a sudden, it's four, two. All of a sudden, it's four, three. I had that sick feeling, Sam, when it was four, three. And then all of a sudden, as soon as it was four, four heading into overtime, it was just like, oh, boy. And then you're down three, nothing all of a sudden to a team that has adequate firepower. Were you one of those? That was up late last time. Were you staying up past oh, midnight I, I, last night? Oh, I game. Oh, yes. How are you uh, feeling? You you showed up today pretty pretty chipper. You know you've <laughs> you've got like a, a tight clean shave. You got a tie. It doesn't look like a, I mean nobody would have blamed you for for dragging your heels coming in here all discouraged. I
2: I mean that's that's fair. I I like to show up ready for work every day, but it's uh, yeah. Unlike I like some late, of the hockey
0: players. Yeah. Hey, oh,
2: but I mean like honestly, that's what it is. We have. I mean, I'm going to sound like every hockey analyst in the universe. We have we have two threats and no depth, and uh, the Jets has all depth,
0: and they showed. They yeah. really showed. It's just so frustrating. It's so frustrating. Ytrium uh, on our live chat says, Connor McDavid is not the best player in the world. It's a ridiculous metric. Uh, yes, he is. People say people say, well, if the best players also show up when they need to. Did I dunno if Connor McDavid didn't show up. I don't think this falls on Connor McDavid. Who knows? A B says McJesus was not resurrected. Nicole says McDavid deserves a cup. Wigwith says I've never seen the city so dead during a playoff run. I was wondering where all the car flags were. I was rocking the car flags. Oh yeah, you had two of them. Yeah, two on on either side. I like to have Like it.
2: perfectly. Thank you perfectly for noticing.
0: Placed. Perfectly spaced out. Yeah. Thank you. They were they were exactly each car flag on 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 the rear windshields of the car. I was teaching Wyatt this. He's five. It's important he learns these things, like like car flags, like the proper application, proper installation of car flags, because he's going to have to learn these things as he gets older. And I was saying, number one, Wyatt. You'll only make this mistake once in your life. If you put a car flag on your window, your like the drivers or passenger side window, the first time that you roll your window down to to litter or whatever. Right. You got to get rid of your big bag of McDonald's and you just got to throw it out on the highway. You got to be careful because you or if you like, for example, like if you need to flick your cigarette butt, you know, into the into the ditch. As you're going past, life as you, yeah. see, these are the this is the type of fatherly wisdom that I pass along Why? If you're ever driving past a dry hayfield and you need to th- flick your cigarette out the window. Just kidding, everybody. I, we're in the day and age where you have to say just kidding now, just in case. But I said to him, you know, you only make that mistake once you, you install a car flag. You're really excited. You go spend 20 bucks or whatever on a car flag and then you're going to roll your window down. And then phew, the flag's gone and you always forget, right? You know, because so you, so, you forget. So, so yes, they were on the back window and they were both spaced exactly one thumb width from the back. So they were all they were perfectly aligned because this is my type of thing. And I seriously, I put them on it and I kind of look and I line them up and I evaluate. I'm like a surveyor. If I put this much care into anything else in my life, I'd probably be doing all right. But yeah, there's just I know there weren't a ton of car flags. I think it's probably because I mean, number one, it was over quick. You know, this is in Edmonton, right? Four games and done. First round, you're out. You're swept. Um, I think number two, just like, you know, you imagine, I mean, the whiteout in Winnipeg. Winnipeg's famous for for back in the day. You think of some of the rinks that really show up. And I think of, like, some of the Oilers crowds in the 80s or the the Calgary Flames in their sea of red or the whiteout in Winnipeg. And, uh, you know, the the in-game crews. They've done a pretty good job. I mean, I know my colleagues with Oilers Entertainment Group putting out all of those orange kind of pom-pom type things on the seats, like 18,000 seats. They had them all covered, even though the fans couldn't be there. They wanted to send that message. Same in Winnipeg, covering the seats with white. Looked pretty cool. You can imagine what it would have been like in the barn for Jets fans last night had people been in there. It would have been bananas. Bananas. This is huge for the Jets. Now yeah. they get now they get, to, they get to sit back and rest watch the other
2: fellas you know battle it out
0: watch everybody beat them up yeah exactly tracy says i'm really proud of the oilers i'm disappointed in all the sore losers out there so Mm -hmm. far on social media i've i've seen the call for every single player to be traded says tracy give me a break i'm with you i'm with you crazy james says blake wheeler was feeling the pain last night uh which is did you hear about this like Wheeler took a slap shot But everyone's like
2: Oh I Yes I did And I was just like Can we just call it a, Like Just call Like Everyone was like Kind of tiptoeing around What exactly happened Like yeah. ooh It was the hand Ooh And I was just like Yeah Can we just All be grown ups here And just say You got it yeah. in the groin
0: well in the groin i mean that would be the grown-up way to put it or we could just say he, you know he got hit in the nuts that's yeah, what he that's got it, in what, the yeah. junk he, he got the family jewels <laughs> yeah. you know he said blake wheeler did an interview after and he said he's like my wife and i have three kids and and we won't be having four let's put it that way <laughs> like it's i'm not laughing i'm not trying to call on i'm not trying to call on the on fate or anything like that um but yeah he was feeling the pain crazy james is absolutely right jay voss Says growing up in Alberta in the 1980s Just absolutely spoiled us with the best hockey Says I can't I can't even watch the NHL now After those great Oilers Flames games Back in the day Says you've got you know you used to have great hockey And bench clearing brawls which was Kind of the two for right Yeah I don't know What can we say What can we say I'm just I'm kind of in a bit of a wind wobble myself Tyler says the team's got to change Somehow says clearly clearly they're not good enough. You don't have to trade everybody, but something needs to happen.
2: I mean, but if we look at the trajectory, we're like steady climb, steady, steady.
0: I love your optimism.
2: I'm just I'm I'm trying to find What people are a what people up are up concerned
0: here. about now is I saw somebody tweet this and they're right. They said we can't afford we being Oilers fans can't afford to waste any more years of McDavid's contract. Yeah. Right. Like at some point, you know, I mean, this is, you know, you, you look How at much the way wait- is left. Ah, well, he signed an eight year deal and I think it kicked in like two years ago. He's probably got five or six years left. Something like that. Okay. We, yeah, we can find it. I mean, he, he you know, he's uh, he's the type of guy you would imagine that that will ultimately uh, endeavor to evaluate his own career in the context of the greats. Like Conor McDavid's not going to care if he gets a thousand points or if he plays a thousand games. He wants right. He's going to go in as one of the all time greatest players. Right. You know, one of the sort of a top five or top three player of all time, probably. But when you evaluate greatness, a big part like like that listener earlier on our live chat that said he's not the greatest in the world. He hasn't won a cup or whatever. Now, I I mean, he's he's a dominant player. He's he's too good for the NHL. Connor McDavid in the NHL is what it looks like when, you know, pros are back from their leagues for the summer and they skate with us. That's Connor McDavid to the pros like he's like on another level. Um, but audience members would not be wrong to point out that, you know, when, when we look at the all time greats, typically you say, you know, winning a cup is a big part of that. I think of like a guy like Jerome McGinley, though, that never won a cup, but still in my mind, is like one of the all time greats. You know, I mean, classic, classic. Right. That was a guy you talk about that old time hockey, you know, the goal scoring and the scrapping like Iggy would have fit in, like with the Cam Neely, those kind of guys like in any era. Right. Paul pointing out the guy in the Bud Light seltzer can is a real trooper. <laughs> Did you notice that one guy? Did you see this sitting in the can in the like the only guy in the stands? First of all, probably loving it. Second of all, probably wasted on Bud Light seltzers. Like, who's going to check How's anyone How are you going to tell like If he falls down the stairs You're going to think It's a bit Right Anyway So that's what some people Are talking about today uh, I, I guess we'll We'll keep it classy Here on Real Talk Acknowledging that we have Audience members From across Canada and Into the United States And we'll say best of luck To all of the teams Moving forward We'll do our best To keep it classy Yeah Boom blah, blah. We're keeping an eye on some serious stuff today in about 20 minutes. Uh, a roundtable. Uh, Sarah, you've put this together. I'm very much looking forward to this conversation. Serious subject matter. Matthew R. Morris will join us, an anti-racism activist. Uh, Brandy Morin, who's uh, a journalist that's done remarkable work covering um, stories around um uh, Indigenous. I mean, Brandy has done report. Here's the thing. So she's she's reported, for example, for um, CBC Indigenous and she's done some work for for APTN and other outlets. But her work has also been featured in like The New York Times and El Canada and Vice and The Guardian. So she's an internationally recognized uh, award winning uh, Cree Mohawk French journalist. I'm looking forward to her perspective. And then MLA David Shepard, who's been doing a lot of work. Um, on the anti-racism file over the past year we'll talk to them about the year that has passed since george floyd was murdered in minneapolis today on that street corner in that area of that city where george floyd was was killed by derek chauvin who has since been convicted of course as you know um they'll be celebrating his his legacy today it's obviously one of these these um I mean, it's a very somber market. I always even in trying to, to find the proper words, you know, the, the one year anniversary of someone's murder is, is, is seems to be a, a bit of a tacky word to use. Maybe we observe the one year mark. But what it does is it allows us or it forces us as a society to to come together and ask important questions. What have we learned in the last year? What's changed? And what work remains to be done?
2: Yeah, I was going to say, if anything, what's yeah. changed, if anything, I think, yeah, the word uh, reckoning, it's a reckoning of, you know, who we are and, um, the society that we live in and yeah, I, it's a, it's a tricky, it's a tricky, tricky even sounds, you know,
0: frivolous. It, uh, well, cause it, when you, when you think about some of the things that happened as a result, you know, this, the, the, um, the, the, this groundswell of of citizen action and meaningful dialogue. I mean, I think back to the Black Lives Matter demonstrations that we saw in 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 Canadian cities, in American cities, around the world with you know in some cases thousands of people turning out, in other cases, hundreds of thousands of people turning out. and some of those conversations about what it looked like people were talking about policing. People are talking about systemic racism, and I do think even the fact that we acknowledge as a society, people will talk about systemic racism in, and then they'll, we'll talk about you know policing or politics, or, and 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 I think we're to a point. At least I feel this way as a as someone who moderates discussion. I feel like there's more of an awareness, or at least more of an open mindedness, in the sense that people cannot ignore it when it comes to what's actually changed. It's I'm not really the guy to ask right my experience is not the one that we're concerned about my, so i'm 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 hoping that matthew and brandy and david make us uncomfortable i'm hoping that we have I, I, and i suspect we will as a matter of fact i guarantee that we're going to have some really meaningful conversation that's coming up in about 15 minutes and then i'm really looking forward to this on a on a really positive note you've booked easily i want to say the most famous fan in pro sports but i i, I I mean, he's right up there. Nav Bacha. He
2: is definitely right up there.
0: The first fan to ever be inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame. As far as I know, I know I'm just throwing this out there. I should fact check this. That can be that can be your problem later.
1: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, but but
0: is he? Uh, I mean, he's got to be. I, I would think I would imagine that he's got to be the first fan inducted into any Hall of Fame.
2: Which To me, it makes me scratch my head because there is, what was his name? Crazy, Crazy Bob. He's the one that started the wave. He's the one that like created the wave. I met that guy. Yeah.
0: I had a chance to meet that guy once. And yeah.
2: uh,
0: whoa, he's a legend. He's I a legend. I, I think he's out of California or something like that, isn't he? And then I think of uh, when it, speaking of Winnipeg. Winnipeg has Dancing Gabe. If you talk to anybody in the city of Winnipeg, are you familiar with Dancing Gabe? The guy is a legend.
2: I'm not. I'm not super familiar with Dancing Gabe. Uh, my head immediately goes to the Green Men in Vancouver.
0: Oh yeah, yep. yeah, The Green also, Men also, also also a big one there. And that I mean, would probably though the, their anonymity might stand in the way of their. That's true. Because I think there's a whole maybe not, maybe not a whole army of them. But I know that I was talking to a buddy in Vancouver. As a matter of fact, see what I do here. I find a way to, to mention our online poker from Friday night. I probably wouldn't bring it up had I not won again. But there were some guys from Vancouver in on that game. And they were talking about this one buddy of theirs. And they say, oh, yeah, he's a huge fan. He's a huge hockey fan, huge Canucks super fan. He's one of the green men. And I went, oh, well, one of the green. So how many of them so are like there? the Illuminati? Like the Illuminati Yeah Exactly They're everywhere They are everywhere Do they still show up Or was that bad That was like 10 years ago Are the the green men Still showing up At Canucks games I don't know I don't watch Canucks I can't stand the Canucks (laughs) The only The only thing worse Than getting swept In the first round Is not making the playoffs Just ask Canucks fans Right But they had a tough year Actually it feels A little bit cheap It feels like I'm taking Pot shots Cheap shots The the Canucks organization Was like decimated By COVID-19 this year Yeah The fact that they even showed up to the end of the season to finish their games, I think that maybe, I can't believe I'm saying this, but maybe we should all be proud of the Canucks organization this year.
2: Well, I think that extends to many sports uh, organizations. I mean, I'm not everyone. Well, I was going to say everybody knows. Uh, I've not made it any secret that I love, love, love the Raptors.
0: We know that they'll be well represented on the show at all times. (laughs) Put it that way. (laughs) At
2: all times. Yeah. they were also like they experienced, and then Oilers as well. Oilers had cases of COVID, so yeah. it's uh, but the, not to the had extent w- The
0: Raptors did, it, but it, yeah. but at what point? At one point, the the Canucks had something like twenty three cases or like oh, twenty four yeah. cases. Team, it's down. like the whole team, and uh, you know their their head coach Travis Green. I remember an interview that he did. Uh, um, he got as as maybe as emotional as 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 a head coach might get, yeah, which was not extremely emotional. He was pretty even keel, pretty steady Eddie but at the same time his voice cracked a bit and he and he talked about number one how serious it was for him this is a common theme if you talk to people that have survived covid people that have been seen it and come through the other side for you know for a lot of people they go "Ah, i wasn't that bad actually for me i kind of got off lucky for other people they go this was the wildest thing i've ever like some people will will say i i stared it in the eyes and Scared the crap out of me right and that was That was kind of some of their experiences and some of their players Were in a really rough spot so so maybe I can mariah says yeah ryan Have some compassion i am having a little Compassion here the fact that i'm even speaking gen, in in generally amicable Terms about the vancouver canucks Is like i mean this is remarkable This mm. is you're witnessing History <laughs> Joe says nope. screw those guys <laughs> all right Joe all right we've also got a lot to talk about on the political front I know probably a lot of people are expecting us to touch on If you're paying attention to Western Canadian politics, if you're paying attention to Alberta politics, probably can't ignore the fact that what was this non-confidence vote, Alberta teachers? Now, people are going to write this one off, let's be honest, but let's get into the details. Uh, And then we'll talk about Premier Jason Kenney's tweet over the weekend, uh, taking credit for his plan working out because the (laughs) the ICUs are only full of young people. So his plan is working to perfection, says in my mind, just whatever. I'll, I'll take my shots in a second. But 99% of Alberta teachers lack confidence in Alberta's education minister. Take us into this.
2: Yeah. So they had their annual representative assembly, the ARA, and it was over the weekend. And on Sunday morning, the delegates, yeah, they voted 99% in favor of a non-confidence motion. Now, in response, it looks like the education minister or representatives of the education minister said, oh, this is just the union. It's not the union. The union is something separate. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, 99%, almost unanimous vote. And as you said, I mean, can they actually, what, what can they do with that? Um, it's more, you know, symbolic, a a huge symbol. I don't want to, you know, diminish Mm -hmm. that. I mean, people are also pointing, you know, doctors are not impressed (laughs) or have no confidence in, you know, the health minister. So it's just like, you know, X on that file, X on this file.
0: Yeah. uh, Now, you know, I've seen some messaging from some press secretaries, like some staff, you know, support staff to government ministers uh, that are saying, you know, oh, well, you know, this is a coordinated vote. It's a coordinated whatever. I do think to a certain degree, people are going to say, you yeah, know, I mean, it's the same with Alberta doctors. I mean, the non-confidence votes are significant. The fact that they're even conducting them is significant. The results are, are unignorable and significant. And they should speak to public sentiment. But you will have people saying, you know, with regards to the teachers, Yeah, I mean, people like getting raises, you know, people like comfort people like, you know Positive uh, discussions or, or positive Relations between governing bodies And government ministries and that Doesn't exist now so what's the big surprise Like 99% many people will say is predictable Tell us something we don't know This but government I, doesn't love teachers teachers don't Love this government
2: but I think it's important That it is you know it's Actually not just anecdotal it's Not just like yeah we think The sentiment is this it's like no we actually Took a vote We, we all we all Took a vote yeah. and this is we can we can say this is the these are the numbers. This is what Alberta teachers are saying, and it's it's not that there's a dislike. It's that the curriculum is um, the, the there are huge. Oh, I don't, I, I don't even. I was going to say blind spot, but I can't even come up with the right words to yeah. describe what the curriculum is, and then the COVID response and how it's really put teachers' uh, safety at. Huge risk in kids. I
0: mean, I heard an emotional uh, bit of audio that was making the rounds on social media from a teacher that was speaking mm. at this, having her voice heard. And she basically said that, you know, I mean, her voice was cracking and she was saying, you know, we've been doing our best. She says, I saw the education minister, Adriana LaGrange, tweet that, you know, my grandkids are excited to go back to school so they can see their friends. And the teacher said, not even a word about teachers, not even a word about teaching it's about seeing their friends she said it's never been about teaching with this minister robert on our live chat says i don't really understand what the non-confidence vote does or changes i'm glad they took a stand but i I don't know the value of it or how it works it's a message yeah It's, it's it's sending a message to the minister it's sending a message to the premier and it's sending a message to the general public and in a in a uh isn't it funny these days i uh, why am i double clutching here i could have just breezed through this but i like acknowledging this stuff even using the word normal these, these days people are like there is no normal and what is normal and what are the but in a, in a regular situation in a, in a healthy situation something like this would send a very clear message to a premier who would be concerned about public opinion who would be concerned about dysfunction and who would address it that's not the case in Alberta Jason Kenney will not swap out the education minister just like he has not swapped out the health minister at times when Tyler Shandro has been absolutely dragged uh, you know showing up on people's driveways and yelling and I mean all these questions around his leadership on the health file Jason Kenney goes on the record and says he thinks he's doing an unbelievable job says he thinks he's doing an admirable job so it's different leadership in Alberta right now we can't even really use the word with a straight face leadership. Hmm. This was Jason Kenney's tweet over the weekend. The government's pretty proud of itself. Um, You know, this 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 board, this graphic, Try to wrap your mind around this for a second. For those of you that are listening to the podcast, as opposed to watching on YouTube, I'll describe it for you. If you haven't seen it already, this is this went through communications staff. There was a there was a request that would have been made for them to put this graphic together, thinking that this was a good idea that we should put this graphic out. Forty percent of those admitted to hospital since February first were under the age of fifty. Says Alberta's premier that the people. That are getting ill and hospitalized now are overall younger and without compromising health conditions because we took steps to protect vulnerable Albertans first. That strategy has worked. Now we just need to get everybody else vaccinated. So the message from Alberta's Premier is while our ICUs are are not quite literally at capacity, because at that point we'd have a really enormous problem there are more patients in alberta icus now than ever in alberta's history alberta's icus are more full now than ever before in history and as the government is telling us we know that nearly half of them are under the age of 50 and per alberta's premier this is evidence that the plan is working our strategy has worked young parents and teachers and young professionals and people in the primes of their lives and people hoping to have kids and i mean i mean one of the strange things about talking about covid is that things have been separated into these different age demographics you, you'll remember this is the same alberta Premier that a few months ago said that hey I, I he said he says he just he says these things Where you're like, if you were to build a robot and leave out all the empathy and then drape it with human skin, these are the types of things that cold circuited robot would say. Like believing he's making a poignant observation, Alberta's premier a while ago stepped up and said, I I would like to remind everyone that the average age of people dying of covid in Alberta is 83. I mean the average age of death in Alberta is like 82. So kind of like in a way that was just like I mean what what is he saying without saying? I almost I almost feel silly spelling this out to people that listen to this show because people that listen to this show are typically pretty enlightened, pretty woke. They kind of get it. What are you saying? You're saying they were going to die soon anyway so it's really not that big of a deal now no ryan he didn't actually say those words but he didn't have to because that is what he is saying so what's he saying this time around the strategy is working that like the 34 year old mom or the or the 41 year old dad or the 26 year old daughter is intubated in icu and that's have proof that the strategy is working One of my buddies reached out and he goes, I know you're I know you're going to pile on him on Tuesday's show. I know you're going to sit and take shots at him. You know what he was trying to say. And I said, what was he trying to say? Well, he was trying to communicate that the older people with the biggest health concerns were the ones that should have been prioritized with the vaccines. And they've done that. And so they were protecting the older population. I said, you know, if that's what he's trying to say, there's a lot of different ways to say it. It's just, you know, I tweeted about it. I think, you know, I, I put some thought into my tweet, as I always do before I hit send. <laughs> it was like I broke my rule, right? I'm like typically like no tweeting on May Long Weekend. <laughs> like just no phones in the bag. But I couldn't. I mean, you know, the, the first sentence of my tweet was, was the one that was the easiest to write, which is that I'm, a lo- I'm at a loss for words You know, I don't understand how an elected official could possibly be so tone-deaf So lacking in empathy and so devoid of wisdom You know who the hell would think this way, let alone say it out loud history will not be kind to jason kenny You know a couple thousand of you have liked it a couple hundred of you have left comments I'd, I'd be happy to read some of those comments through the show today i mean it's you can go read them for yourself if you want to get a sense oftentimes twitter can can provide a great platform for us to to understand where where the population is at and i just i had a really difficult time wrapping my mind around this is it's just the it's it's the perspective that comes through of somebody that does not have some of the real life qualities that you would expect in the leader of a, of a government you know you think about the stereotypes oftentimes around politicians what are, what are one of the things we say about politicians in kind of a denigrating way like always kissing babies right always you know kiss babies at least politicians that can kiss babies and sell the public on it demonstrate or, or exude some sense of humanity right it's just not believable with this guy like the the lifelong confirmed bachelor is the guy that's going to tell us about what families need and what kids need he's the guy that's going to try to understand what families have been through through the pandemic i don't want to get too deep into this because once i start i just maybe i'll just stop at cold circuited robot draped in human flesh i think that that's sort of to me sums up my impression of the type of mentality that this government puts out it's not believable the the messages from the premier's office are, are are messages that you think could not possibly have been plotted out written and released by people that have any understanding of basic decency of humanity I already know what the critics will say oh the bleeding heart listen to jesperson the bleeding heart wants wants his wants his government leaders to step up to the podium and, and sniffle and cry their way through announcements i would just like to be able to believe that they understand what it's like for the average family for the average person and it is just not believable with this guy and that raises red flags all over the place you can let me know what you think love it or hate it talk at ryan jesperson.com is is our email inbox that's where you can get both sarah and myself and maybe we'll get to some of your emails a little bit later on in the show panel coming up in a quick second we wanted to remind you that the teams at the dairy queens of northwest edmonton and sherwood park right now are making the absolutely world famous peanut buster parfaits available for a dollar ninety nine That is a massive discount available only at the Dairy Queens in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, Y Gardens, and Baseline Road. Those are the ones that Mark and Michelle and Michael own. They're sending us messages. They absolutely love that Real Talkers are coming through the the drive-throughs and dropping the name of the show. You mentioned Jasper, you mentioned Real Talk. It's $1.99 for a peanut-buster parfait, or as, as one of our audience members pointed out, two for $4.20 which is also worth noting dollar 99 peanut buster parfaits at the dairy queens of northwest edmonton and sherwood park the team at Freezing brothers ready to set you up you've got your license to grill and it's barbecue season they're going to help you look good they know with the skills that you have and their lineup of fresh alberta produce and protein you are covered try making a garlic bread by grilling some of their famous sourdough i keep talking about grilled zucchini but but i recognize also grilled red peppers grilled asparagus there are many other options here i can get into a bit of a rut i can be guilty of that but i do acknowledge that the grill options are numerous whether it's tofu or turkey beef pork chicken whatever your flavor whatever you're looking for you will find it at the 15 friesen brothers across the province of alberta alberta grown and alberta owned well it's may 25th a year ago A man by the name of George Floyd. Most people didn't know who George Floyd was. Now it's a name, a face, and unfortunately a tragic incident that nobody will ever forget. George Floyd was murdered in Minneapolis, Minnesota a year ago by a former police officer, Derek Chauvin, who has since been convicted of that killing. As we observe the one year mark today, we endeavor to take a look at what we've learned, what's changed. And the work that still needs to be done. Matthew R. Morris is an educator and a writer uh, born and raised in Toronto. His writing focuses on the intersection of race, black masculinity, hip hop culture and education. He currently teaches middle school. He's written with uh, the Huffington Post, uh, EDFO's The Voice magazine and Education Canada magazine david Shepard is a canadian politician he's an mla uh, for the opposition ndp representing the writing of edmonton city center at the alberta legislature and brandy morin is a uh an indigenous uh, journalist an award-winning cree mohawk french journalist based out of alberta her work as mentioned featured in the guardian the new york times uh, cbc indigenous el canada vice and other publications to the three of you welcome to the show and thank you so much for being here uh, Matthew, as we observe that one-year mark today, but let me ask you generally, um, where's your head at? Where's your heart at today?
3: Uh, you know, it, it's it's funny. Good morning, by the way, Ryan. I was I went on a walk earlier this morning, and um, I was just trying to reflect on what has happened over the last year and just try and really take in everything that we've gone through as a society, everything that we've gone through um, collectively, And um, my heart is a little bit heavy. My heart is a little bit heavy, but I'm fortunate to be able to be in a position to teach the next generation, so to speak. And although maybe things might not have shifted as much as we would like them to shift from an adult perspective, I can tell you that the mindset of the youth has definitely altered in a positive way. So I am optimistic about our future.
0: Matthew, where do you see that with regards to the youth? Are you talking about, you know, young learners in your classroom?
3: Yeah, um, I'm talking about this next generation, the kids who are 11, 12, up to 17 years old. I think that, you know, obviously racism is a, is a cancer that is going to be incredibly hard to um, cure and eradicate. But just in con- conversation with, with the youth that I've taught over the last couple of years, I think that their mindset collectively is a lot different than the mindset of kids who were born in the 80s, like me. Um, I think that generally the culture and the the overall acceptance, because of what we've been through with the tragedy of George Floyd and all these other things, is a little bit more aware of the inequity that exists, particularly amongst anti-Black racism, and they're more open to uh, correcting these problems.
0: Uh, David, you've, you've, I know, spent, a, I mean, among your other responsibilities, uh, a significant part of this past year uh, working to further anti-racism initiatives, uh, most especially in the province of Alberta. Um, before we get into the specifics or the details, where's your head and heart at today on this one year mark?
4: Uh, I'm sorry, Ryan. I seem to have lost your audio there for a second. Oh, uh,
0: that's okay. Uh, I'll tell you what. Sam will communicate with you on message and, and we'll bring you right back in. Brandy, let me ask you. Okay, the- I've, I've got you now. Okay, perfect. Well, let, let, you know, let me ask you, uh, just generally speaking, your your head, your heart, where are you at today? You know,
4: it's 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 been quite a year, I think. Uh, the incident, the murder of George Floyd opened the door for some new conversation. It, it put us a big step forward. And I mean, and not to minimize the tragedy of the event and the continuing tragedies that have happened since, because we have continued to see police violence uh, against racialized individuals in the time since. But it provided an opportunity for us. And so when I was invited to speak at the rally last year at the Alberta legislature and talk about this, it was very important to me. And I think to all of my colleagues in the official opposition that we bring something concrete to the table and that was you know, our offer to sit down and talk with racialized folks across the province of Alberta, uh, the black community certainly but also the indigenous communities and others who are affected but we wanted to, that to be real and substantial we recognize communities have been over consulted, they've been asked the same questions repeatedly and seen no action taken so we wanted to do our homework, we sat down and talked with policy experts we looked at reports that had already been done including some of the information that we received from the anti-racism advisory council of the province of Alberta and we pulled from that substantive policies and set up a series of consultations where we reached out to folks in the community to add, get their thoughts on policies that we were specifically proposing to address this within the context of the province of Alberta. Uh, that's gone incredibly well and it's been really encouraging to hear back from folks and I'm really excited that some of those policies that have been developed uh, have been now taken and adopted by folks on the Partisan side of the Alberta NDP as the party. And they're going to be voting on those at our upcoming convention.
0: Brandy, before we get into I mean, your, your experience in, in covering stories across Canada have highlighted uh, and, and uh, in a sense that have, have, have made people uncomfortable in the best way and have, I know that, that have empowered a lot of people or have, have lit a fire under some people to take action. You you have taken on racism in Canada uh, many, many times with your writing. What changed, if anything, uh, through, through your perspective as a journalist uh, a year ago today, and how has this past year been any different uh, in your experience?
1: Well, a year ago, after George Floyd's murder, it just shook the world. It shook the world to face the truth of the injustices faced by uh, BIPOC people. Um, and it was like a rumbling that lasted for weeks and months. and. Um, There was so many different mixed emotions and and feelings that a lot of people had, including myself, you know, you had, uh, you know, it was traumatic, it was stressful, but it was also inspiring, it was inspiring to see uh, the people coming together from every race from all walks of life, like I've never witnessed before, not only in the US, but across Canada, and also to witness the aligning of indigenous and black people here in Canada, because we know that indigenous and black people face the most violence faced the uh, most brutality from uh, police forces and racism um, in general in society. So that was really inspiring. But as far as where we're at now, okay, so this this gave the opportunity for the conversations of racism uh, and, and police brutality to be uh, in our newsrooms. Everybody's talking about it at their kitchen table and such like that. But as far as um, anything tangibly done on a systemic level, I haven't really seen unfold. I have seen continued, perhaps increased violence from uh, police forces in this country um, against Indigenous peoples. We've had three people from one First Nation in BC, from the Klaa Kla- uh, First Nation, shot by police, two of them killed within 11 months. One of them was a, a mother who was shot on Mother's Day, on May 11th. We're hearing, um, you know, every other month or so of this continued violence. Um, It's streaming out of control. It's concerning. We had an RCMP uh, commissioner who didn't even know what racism within her ranks was. Um, So it it just seems like a big mess to me on um, those governmental structural levels, but I am seeing like hope because it's not 1873 anymore.
0: Matthew, I've got a, a one of our audience members, Kim, says, you know, it feels to me like there's louder racism and louder anti-racism. She says it feels like a friction point, she says. But it also seems to me like most white people finally understand systemic racism, she says. But I'm open to being wrong if I am. It has been it feels like some somewhat of a divisive year Uh, I don't think I even need to say somewhat because we've we've seen Black Lives Matter demonstrations and we've seen rallies and we've seen people come together as a result of this brutal killing. And and let's note that he's not George Floyd is not the only one that that lost his life in, in this context over the past year. But at the same time, we've seen some pretty horrific developments as well. How are you processing that?
3: Yeah, I mean, I would agree with, with what Brandy just spoke about. In terms of my life, I haven't seen much difference. And in fact, I, I do agree that there has been this schism in terms of performative allyship and performative protest with, you know, obviously the influx and influence of social media on our lives. It's a little easier to say you stand for something without actually putting in the work and doing the action. So there is this dichotomy, where on the one hand it seems like everybody is all about the cause, and on the other hand you get this this uh, backlash of of vitriol and hate and negative feedback um, that you would have never have known existed if these tragedies didn't happen. Um, For my life personally, I I am a little bit more fearful of police um, in one-on-one circumstances due to everything that has happened in the last year, the last year and a half, the last four or five years with this, you know, almost hunting of black bodies. um, Do I feel like I'm safer as a black male? No. Do I feel like collectively as a society, we have kind of taken a step forward? Yes. Um, You know, one of the, cynical thoughts I had in my head um, during this George Floyd tragedy um, and the murder was that this might be something that only sticks around for two weeks. We're here, it's a year later and we're still talking about it. So you can say that we have moved forward in terms of anti-blackness work and in terms of understanding, regardless of you know what creed or color you are, we have moved a little bit closer to equity and equality um, but because of social media, you also see that dichotomous nature on both sides. And um, I, I think that, you know, you have to take the good with the bad. And for me as a black male, my investment and as an educator is in, is in the youth of tomorrow. I don't think that much will change in the next year, two years, even a decade, pertaining to how I'm seen um, outside of society and how I feel subconsciously and consciously. When I'm in situations that almost reveal the extent of, of my blackness and my black body, but that's okay. I'm used to that. Um, I think the goal in this work is to make, you know, the next 15 to 20 years better. And I hope um, that this tragedy has given us uh, a springboard to be able to do some of those things.
0: I want to circle back on that, Matthew, and I think it's so important for us to talk about generational realities here and attitude changes and those types of things. Um, David, do not perceive this question to be a shot at the great work that you're doing. But can we actually address systemic racism or anti-black racism or anti-indigenous racism with political policy? I mean, I don't mean to be cynical, but what gives you confidence that, that that's the direction to take it, or at least an important direction?
4: Well, you're, you're right, Ryan. It's, it can't do all of the work, but it's an important part of the work. There's a great quote from uh, Martin Luther King Jr. He said, you know, it's true that morality can't be legislated, but behavior can be regulated. It's true that the law can't change the heart, but it can restrain the heartless. And while it may not change the hearts of men, it changes the habits of men if it's vigorously enforced and through changes in habits, pretty soon attitudes can change too. And the heart can be changed in the process. Now that's part of the work that needs to be done. We need to have processes in place to address racism where it occurs. We need to have things in place that are going to change the systems that affect every part of our lives. And we need to put policies in place that put people from racialized communities at the table where these decisions are being made, and up their representation in how these systems function. So, folks like Matthew, being part of the education system, is helping to make that change. But it's not enough just to say, "Well, folks like Matthew have to do the work, and they have to be there, and they have to do it all themselves." We have to make sure there's systems in place to support them, to make their to get let their voice be louder, to make sure that when they raise these issues, they're being addressed. So. Sure, political policy isn't going to do all of the work, but it's essential part of the work to support the folks that are out doing this on the front lines, and the people that are out there on the front lines of it every day,
0: David. Where do you perceive? And and I mean, obviously, your 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 uh, you know, your arena now is is the legislature, is provincial politics. But obviously, you're you know, you're aware of what's happening federally as well, and in the relationship between those two levels of government, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, what what do you think would be meaningful policy, either at a provincial level or a federal level, that you would like to see implemented? Uh, right here in Canada, what what what's one example of policy that you think would go a long way in advancing uh, some of this anti-racism work?
4: Well, one of the areas, Ryan, I'd say is around hate crimes legislation. So uh, I've heard this very clearly from folks in the community, uh, from all racialized communities, from folks in the black community. Most recently in March at a rally I attended about anti-Asian hate, uh, that folks want to see hate crimes legislation strengthened clear definitions, uh, making it clear what is and is not allowed, and putting real teeth to the policies to help end the spread of hatred in the public sphere. Recently, we had a motion that my uh, colleague Thomas Dang put on the floor in the legislature that was supported by all MLAs from both sides of the aisle, uh, saying that we should be putting a ban on clear symbols of hate, like the Confederate flag or the Nazi flag, you know, both of which are flying, you know, on a property just outside of Breton, Alberta. Though, Those things themselves don't solve the issue of racism, but they show a solidarity with racialized communities. They help tip that scale in terms of what we consider acceptable as a society. And we've talked about how those voices of hate have gotten stronger and louder. Over the last year, we also then have to step up to push back against them, and that is about what we say and what we do, but it is also about the laws that we have in place, the policies we enforce that help support racialized communities uh, to, I guess, reduce the amount of trauma that they continue to endure and strengthen them as they continue to push back and make more room within these systems.
0: Brandy, I I couldn't help but notice that as Matthew was talking about the youth and the next generation, you you were sort of nodding in agreement. It seemed his message seemed to resonate with you. Why was that?
1: Uh, I'm witnessing that, too. I think that this generation is a lot more, you know, open. I think they're just they they have access, you know, through social media to uh, learn and and understand, you know, what's going on. I seen so I witnessed so many youth. In droves, heading out to you know different uh, Black Lives Matter um, um, demonstrations and 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 gatherings last year, um, and even what I hear, I have kids, I have I have kids that are teenagers and young adults, and even in conversations with them. Um, You know, there's there's so much hope there Um, there's so far ahead, but I also understand that, you know, and I agree with Matthew that this process is actually going to take generations we're not going to eradicate racism racism has existed for time immemorial. but we can work on it together. This is not gonna happen overnight. It's gonna take generations. I've had people, um, you know, that work in grassroots organizations um, in regards to missing and murdered indigenous women and girls and such. And they have told me, you know, this is gonna keep going on. It's going to take generations to change. And that's heartbreaking because we have people that are being targeted and murdered just because of their race. And so you can lose so much hope when you think of it that way. But when you you begin to understand that there is this new generation um, that is being raised up to understand, to learn, um, to help change these systems when they're, you know, uh, you know, grown and perhaps, you know, working like David, you know, in legislations to change these policies, which ultimately Every single one of the systems that run our societies here in Canada, in North America, they're all fundamentally, fundamentally racist. Every single one, not just the police force. We have our healthcare systems, our institutions, our schools. It's across the board because it was established. Canada was established upon white supremacy. It was established as a colonial state to oppress. Um, people that weren't European. So this is such a large, expansive issue that exists everywhere. And um, I, it's not going to happen overnight, but we're well on the way.
0: I want to note for for our friends, our audience members that are tuning in, streaming this audio live on Mixler or listening to the podcast later in the day, Brandy, you're wearing a, Um, a red dress uh, on your lapel here Um, it was it was uh, three weeks ago tomorrow red dress day the national day of awareness of missing and murdered indigenous women girls and two-spirit people uh, where we observed uh, that day and 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 obviously a conversation that's ongoing in Canada I think probably if we were to evaluate whether or not it's actually being taken seriously we'd have some differing opinions Um, did you find that day I mean obviously May 5th is is a hugely significant day but does a day like that, even even three weeks later, I'm, I mean, you, credit to you for for wearing that and, and, and reminding us and putting that on our radar again. But does a day like May 5th. Oh, gosh, I'm stopping myself from asking you if it actually accomplishes anything. I don't mean it to come across that way, but does yeah. it? I mean, does it do anything other than everybody wearing red shirts for a day?
1: It's just one of those things that lasts a day and it just kind of goes off the radar. Um it's a genocide that we're living through. We're living in an actual genocide in this country against indigenous women and girls um, who are being um, taken and being murdered. I'm working on on an extensive series for Al Jazeera English right now on this issue. And there are several allegations when it comes to police of indigenous women and young girls being raped by police and um, families su- suspicious of the police themselves being involved with these murders. This is where it goes across the board, and there are so many different um, inequalities and circumstances and adversities that are all interlinked that put every one of us that are a BIPOC people make us more vulnerable to, uh, you know, experiencing violence, experiencing brutality. And I just, I have to agree with Matthew. Um, I don't, I, sometimes I talk about my own experience, but I was reporting in Northern BC in February and uh, I was in a remote area. Area. I had my a photojournalist with me who was working with me. She's white, blonde hair. And we were stalked and followed by the RCMP in this remote area. And I actually experienced a panic attack she did not experience that because I was afraid and I know how that feels and we shouldn't have to be in those positions positions I wasn't doing anything wrong but um they you know they followed me and they pulled me you know over and were questioning me in in a remote mountain area and um I felt extremely vulnerable and did not want to be in that position
0: so one of the themes uh that that's coming up in this conversation prominently which is is obviously what we would expect is conversations around policing it was a now former police officer that murdered george floyd it was a former police officer that or, or a police officer that killed brianna taylor we've had but here's the thing i mean matthew it's it's really striking to hear you say as as a black man you feel now less safe uh, than you did 5 years ago as as canadians we have this thing uh, don't we where where we like to believe that we're not as bad as the americans on a number of files we're not as bad on a number of fronts and i bet you that a lot of people m- might be surprised to hear you say that you feel less safe now in the era of, of body cameras and accountability and more public conversation on carding and prominent uh conversations around uh, excessive use of force by police or systemic racism in policing so why do you think it is i mean if i can ask you a personal question why do you think it is that you feel less safe now despite all of these public conversations and developments
3: because blackness is a, is a shared experience. And despite the fact that a the, the, uh, gross number of these incidences has happened in the U.S., as a black male, to me, it, it, it's almost like it happened tw- 20 feet away from me. Mm-hmm. Um, because I've been through those same experiences. I've gotten pulled over and not gotten a ticket multiple times in my life. Now I can understand getting pulled over because I violated a, a, a traffic law. I've gotten pulled over for no reason. I've gotten pulled over and not gotten a ticket. Told I, you know, didn't signal or didn't stop at a stop sign or my car and me fit a description of, you know, uh, of whatever. Um, so for me, just being aware and and seeing. These murders of black bodies, particularly black male bodies, happen
5: uh,
3: over and over again. And before George Floyd, um, n- police, police, individual police officers, and institutions of policing not being held accountable for their actions is it's 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 psychic violence. It's 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 uh, subconscious. You know, I don't want to go as far as say it's unconscious terrorism on my body, but I have to guard against particular uh, psychological things every time I leave my home, right? When I'm walking down a street, I have to shrink my body because I know, I feel like I know how others are threatened by me. When I get in my car and drive and a police is behind me, I immediately start to prepare to protect myself to sustain my, my life, to be able to get home. And to, to get back to your question, why do I think that it's more amplified now? Before the police were not being held accountable, but it continues to happen, right? When, when um, Derek Chauvin, the former police officer, finally was convicted of murder, that same day an officer in Ohio Yes, he was breaking up a fight where uh, a female had an, a black female had a knife, but he shot her the same exact day that Derek Chauvin was um, convicted of murder. And to me, it, just seeing these things, there was a time where I, I had to stop. Just wa- I couldn't watch anymore. The George Floyd yeah. video, I couldn't watch. It took me uh, almost a month to actually watch it. Because I couldn't take it, I couldn't take seeing blatant injustice, blatant, and I think that's why this George Floyd um, murder has stood out for everyone. Because this was the moment where all these small things have been building up over the course of years and decades. But you know, if we want to laser in on it, over the course of the last four to five years, all these black males were getting murdered, but this one was so blatantly wrong that it galvanized everybody collectively, you know? And, and I do want to double back on something that, um, that David mentioned. Um, policy fosters culture. And um, you think about restaurants in the 1990s, schools in the 1990s, you know, uh, buildings in the 1990s, everyone was smoking inside buildings. Mm-hmm. It was normal, but policies intervened. And now if you saw somebody light a cigarette inside of a restaurant, you would think that there was something wrong with that person because we've eradicated a uh, social mores right so yes policies and politics are not going to eradicate racism but they do curate culture and they do change the way that people operate and 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 for me in the education system i do think that policy particularly pertaining to curriculum needs to happen sooner rather than later because I'm only one teacher. I I have the autonomy to make this a priority or not make it a priority. But addressing anti-black racism within education needs to be a mandated policy, in my opinion.
0: David, it's uh, and we have audience members pointing this out as we speak, and I know that you've mentioned it as well. There have been horrific uh, incidents recently of of people posting photos publicly online, Nazi youth flags, swastikas flying, uh, people invoking the, the the Heil Hitler salute uh, at things. Even as things as at, at climate rallies, these things will will flare up. I mean, there there are these nods. To white supremacy some of them more blatant than others but but they surface and they're appalling but it's a reminder that these attitudes persist i know that especially based on what matthew's talking about about the generation and the next generation I, i've had conversations with people that, that firmly believe um and, and i'll just say what they say you know they, they say that the, the older generation just the, the attitudes will die with that generation and and it's almost some many people I think sort of treat certain things like a waiting game. Like, well, there's not much you can do about, you know, old Uncle Larry. You know, he's said the same thing, he's used the same language, he's had the same attitude since the nineteen forties or the nineteen thirties, and that's just the way he is. He's hardwired. Do you believe that? Do you buy into that? Do you think that attitudes can change?
4: absolutely i do right i mean i think of course the older people go the longer they hold a point of view the longer an attitude has a chance to sort of set in the harder it is to change that's undeniably true but it doesn't mean it's impossible and indeed i've seen people whose attitudes have changed from their own personal experience things that they've been through people that they've met it's changed perspectives but that aside you know, we don't set the rules of our society for the minority. We, we go by what we need to do and doing the right thing to make our society more fair and just for everybody. You know, Matthew made a very good point when he referred to racism as a cancer. Cancer runs deep. It's insidious. It gets into every corner of the body. You can remove a tumor, but you'll still have pieces of it left behind. It takes real work and effort to treat it. And there's no treatment for cancer that isn't incredibly uncomfortable for the patient. That doesn't make things worse to some extent before it gets better. It's going to be uncomfortable. But that is part of the process of getting better and getting well. And as a society, we have to get more comfortable with being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And that means confronting sometimes folks that have very deeply set ideas, and they're welcome to hold those ideas, but they are not welcome to continue to have undue influence in our society and make it more uncomfortable and untenable and frankly, traumatic for other members of our society. We have to address it and we have to root it out.
0: Okay. So, so let's inflict some discomfort on, on me as a host, let's inflict some discomfort on this audience. Brandy uh, starting with you. I mean, there, there, there is, there are realities that we must confront. There are steps We must take we can talk about with with MLA Shepard here, what what political policy might look like. Matthew's giving us great insight and we'll dig deeper into it, into what curriculum can look like or what conversations in the classroom can look like. Uh, Of course, you're a journalist. Uh, You have a platform where people care about what you report. People people make your reporting a destination. They'll seek it out on an individual level. Where does where does this discomfort need to manifest itself?
1: It has to start by forgetting everything that you know. It has to start by being stripped down and heartbroken to your core and shaken to understand the realities by black and indigenous people of color in this country. We have indigenous peoples that are Living in third world conditions, being murdered, facing the worst adversity that you can even imagine, being taken, still being removed off their own homelands for government and corporate gain. That government gain includes society. That includes taxpayers. That so-called resources are lands that you're enjoying with infrastructure and you know good neighbors, good neighborhoods, and such. That is also your responsibility because you own that. You're paying those taxes. These damages that are being done are blood on the hands of our nation. We need to really understand. What's happening in Canada, that there are gross human rights violations happening right under our noses. Canada is not a utopian society. Everybody around the world looks to Canada and thinks it's this, you know, great, beautiful, vast uh, place to live that upholds, you know, human rights. It's wrong. It's a facade. And all of this, uh, you know, all of the past is being ripped from the roots for everybody to see, for everybody to know. And just like David said, it hurts, it's ugly, it's uncomfortable. We need to be uncomfortable. We need to feel the pain. We need to work through this together and understand this truth of the horrors that people are actually living through in order to move forward together and we might have to stay in this place of truth and reconciliation and ugliness for a while until we start to heal and move forward
0: you know i know i already know what some people are you know critics of what you're saying people that people that want to dismiss what you're saying brandy right they'll talk about white guilt And they'll talk about this show as a a purveyor of white guilt. I guarantee it because I've heard it many, many times based on conversations like this. On the flip side, I love hearing from audience members like Mark, who's listening in from Utah this morning. He says, you know, the fact that I don't even have to worry about being pulled over based on the color of my skin is, is part of my white privilege. He says, even though I grew up in poverty, I recognize my privilege. and and james is watching and james says ryan can you please ask the panelists to comment on white fragility (laughs) these are these are phrases that we hear right white guilt white privilege white fragility there's one thing in common with all of them and that's the white right matthew how much how much of this needs to land squarely in the laps of people that have been and grown up i mean i don't want to make assumptions about people but let me say introspectively as, as part of the majority people who don't understand what it's like to be the only black or indigenous person of color in the in a classroom, people that don't understand what it's like to be pulled over for no reason, people that don't understand what it's like to have a great resume, but not get a call back for a job and, and never really be able to quite understand why, how much of it needs to be looking in the mirror for a lot of Canadians? Uh,
3: uh, a whole lot of it. A whole lot of it. The 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 other option is uh, having the victims to explain their victimhood, you know, and I, I'll give you a, a small example at the you know the beginning of my teaching career I was proud to always do the black history month uh, for my school but you know over the last few years I'm tired i I've gotten exhausted from continuously trying to validate my self-worth um so I think when it comes to you know the white collective there there's a certain level of baggage that they need to unpack and understand right and Part of it comes from listening, right? Like we're here to share our voices and our experiences. And, and I want, you know, your fans and those people to understand what it's like to, you know, endure this experience uh, on a day in and day out basis. You know, and, and it, it's, it's it's funny, My I'm half white, I'm biracial, um, but I identify as black. My mom used to ask me when I was finishing my grad work, why i always center my uh my writing on blackness and black masculinity there's my own mother who didn't understand that part of me and i had to explain to her that despite me being biracial and half white the world doesn't care the world doesn't see me like that i'm a black man to the world when i step outside so that's where my experience lies and when it comes to white people dealing with white guilt or white fragility. Um, I think the first step is is to listen, and and another important step um, is what Brandy said to unlearn a lot of what we've been, you know, fastened to through through society. Um, and again, I think that you know we are we are making those moves to to kind of understand. You know, people have put out books in the last two or three years that have been very practical in terms of small things to understand how to wrestle with white fragility, how to wrestle with particular aspects of people's white privilege. And it's it's overlapped to to include other intersectionalities. Like I understand that I have male privilege, right? I understand that I have able body privilege. These are things that I wouldn't even have thought about five or six, seven, eight years ago that uh, I think we're just coming to a better collective understanding. And no one is asking for the tables to be turned or for, you know, what is happening, what has happened historically in society in terms of um, a white dominance and supremacist infrastructure. No one's asking for those tables to be turned. No one's really even asking for a seat at the table. I think, from my opinion, what the collective Goal is is to just dismantle the table entirely and reevaluate and restructure what we value and what we center um, as we move through society.
1: I just make a comment there, Ryan. So um, I don't entirely blame, uh, you know, uh, white people that were raised in these educational systems that were system systematically designed to push forward an agenda of the dominant society for since this colonial history it white history has been taught in school the white agenda agenda has been you know um plummeted through everything that we're taught. We're not taught the true history about indigenous peoples. We're not taught the true history about, you know, black peoples or other people's indigenous culture. It's all about, it is white supremacy. So I don't blame that they don't really know or knew about that. But I do blame them when we are where we're at today, and that that we're having the conversations that we're having, and that there are so many resources out there to uh, learn, to educate, um, to meet, you know, people and to understand their experiences. Um, and uh, the world of the internet has uh, really opened up a lot, you know, for us. So uh, again, I don't necessarily blame those past generations for being in an ignorant place because it was given to them that that's what was given to them
0: Uh, Yeah. And we're getting some interesting comments here, like from Justin, for example, who says talking to other friends about white privilege is tough because, you know, it's hard for people, for example, who grew up poor uh, or who grew up in really tough circumstances to see themselves as privileged. And I think that maybe we need to have a broader or more fulsome conversation about what that implies. I mean, Michael, your, your observations about male privilege or able bodied privilege. What a great point. I mean, I just there's little comments being made here that are making me think about so much um david there was a comment i don't i don't have it in front of me but earlier in this uh, panel discussion and audience members said you know it felt like years or even decades of, of progress were erased or set back uh with the election of, of president donald trump in 2016 um we certainly saw millions of people become emboldened uh in ways that we hadn't seen for many years i think probably the storming of the capitol building on january 6th was the culmination of it but that certainly wasn't the only instance politically uh in a societal context how significant do you think that was and 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 politically do you see an appetite for for change can you see willingness in a a bipartisan effort or otherwise to make meaningful strides here
4: Certainly, I think uh, what we saw with the election of President Trump was being given an incredible megaphone for those voices of hatred. And again, I think a minority of people that really hold the, that true hatred Uh, in their hearts, and for whom that is a full philosophy of life. But they also then are appealing to a lot of folks who have other anger, uh, other existential angst, things that, you know, from economic turmoil, all these other things. And then that all gets wrapped up into, frankly, unfortunately, a racist package. And so Donald Trump gave a gave permission I guess, created an environment, his leadership opened the door for a lot more comforting the comfortable and afflicting the afflicted. And we saw a lot of people respond accordingly. And unfortunately, the larger Republican Party decided that that's what they were going to follow. And even with, you know, Donald Trump now out of office, they're doubling down on that with, frankly, racist voting laws and other changes of the same sort. So I think, again, this comes back to that is the power that exists in politics and political policy. As Matthew said, it sets culture. It sets the framework for how our society is gonna function and what we consider permissible. And I see, yes, I do think there is room for change. Right now, I look at our municipal election here in Edmonton, and there is a record number of racialized candidates running. I see younger black, black leaders and folks from all sorts of racialized communities getting more involved at every level of the system. So they are raising a different voice. They are changing some of that conversation and they are helping to push some of those boundaries. And that is absolutely essential. That in itself is not going to end racism. But it changes the environment in which the rest of these conversations are happening, in which the activists and advocates who are pushing the boundaries are continuing to create new space for us to move into. So I think it's incredibly important that we look at our political leaders, we look at our political choices, and we think very carefully about who we're going to give power.
0: Brandy, are, are Canadians uh, well served by uh, a journalism landscape that you would describe as equitable? Do you, do you see equal representation when it comes to those that that hold the power of the pen or that are holding microphones? What do you note?
1: I mean, we have a long way to go. It's getting better. Um, but um, no, no. Um, there are a handful, I'd, I'd say maybe a, a couple of few handful of, you know, veteran experienced journalists, people of color um, across Canada, but we need more uh, to be, you know, in these positions. I mean, when it's a, when you're in a newsroom and, you know, the people that are assigning the stories and making the decisions of what kind of stories <clears throat> are going to be told and they're, you know, white from the mainstream community, um then our stories aren't always, you know, told. And we're in positions as uh, you know, BIPOC journalists to have to fight for these stories to be told.
0: Yeah, like if so, you're if you're pitching a story, if you're pitching a story on on you know, missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls, or if you're pitching a story on, you know, the the prime minister's promise, the federal government's promise to to you know eradicate essentially boil water advisories on reserves across Canada, or or, or what have you. Um, do you have to work harder to pitch those stories than you would a story on unrelated subject matter, based on your experience?
1: Um, it's getting a lot better, especially in the last five to 10 years um, in Canada. And now I do a lot of international work. So it's harder for uh, the interna- international international you know, uh, press to take interest in these stories, to try to convince them that you know these stories matter and that there are these human rights abuses happening. Um, they do get picked up, but you do have to work harder. And I just wanted to make a comment quickly, Ryan, I love your show um, and I love everything that you're doing. But I, for this major series that I'm working on for Al Jazeera English, just since you mes- mentioned Justin Trudeau, um, it's a six chapter series. Um, very, very in depth. I reached out to the feds um, to request a interview with Justin Trudeau. This is for an international International audience, um, and they turned me down. They put me to, of course, uh, the Indigenous uh, Crown and Indigenous Relations Minister. They also turned me down for a live interview, and they sent me, you know, a comment by email for an international story. And I asked months in advance, and then I seen that Justin Trudeau was on your show to kind of talk about like fluff. No offense, Ryan. He was talking about you know, fluff stuff. And we're talking about a genocide that he turned down, they turned down an indigenous reporter for an international story. And that just kind of shows you what their priorities are. That kind of shows you, you know, where this is at within, um, you know, Canada, within, you know, the media and, and different priorities. And um, I just, it just seemed to confirm everything that I'm hearing, you know, on the ground with what people think of um, how, our society and our governments, uh, you know, take um, what's going on, how, how seriously they take it.
0: Can can I respectfully push back on the characterization of our yeah. subject matter as fluff while still buying yeah. into the idea that you should get an interview with the prime minister? Can I leave it at yeah. that? Yeah. No, but hey, yes. listen, yes. I, I, Brandy, a hundred percent. I can't say I understand where you're coming from, but I understand the point you're making and I think it's a valuable yeah. point. And I certainly don't mind. The, the, I, I appreciate you putting that out in front of us. Um uh, that's the whole point, right? I invite you to come on here and make me feel uncomfortable. You're doing a great job of it.
1: Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love you, right? So
0: I love you too. You know, we you and I talk every few months and I look forward to every single one of the conversations. So let let's let's you know, can you can you can the three of you give us something to walk with like not today? Um you know, you know, what, let me ask you a question. I wanted to ask you this and 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 I'll ask you first Matthew. Um I, I want to admit something. I have not yet to this point been able to watch the entire nine minute video of george floyd being killed i i have watched some of it many times um i've started to watch it a few times resolving that i will watch the entire nine minutes and i have not i can't i'm i am traumatized and i'm 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 thousands of kilometers away and i'm in a totally different situation and uh, i i can't relate uh but i can't watch it it's i'm watching someone get murdered and Call for his cry for his mom and and say dozens of times that he can't breathe and i'm I'm outraged by it I wonder if maybe my assignment starts with me forcing myself to watch the whole nine minutes I don't know if that would change my mind on anything. I don't know if it would accomplish something. I I'm treating this I'm almost treating the three of you like my therapist right now because I, I'm, I'm, I'm not Quite sure how to wrap my mind around it. Matthew. What do you think?
3: yeah um I, I don't see I'm not a trained therapist, so I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to advise you on whether or not you should you should watch the entire video um, and even hearing you uh, ask that that question, I don't even know if I've watched the entirety of it um, to be honest but um tangibly, uh, here's what I think you know to to kind of circle back around to what Brandy, and what David and myself were talking about um, with the allergy, uh, the, the anecdote of you know racism symbolized through the disease of cancer. Um, I think where we are now is um, we, we're not leaving it untreated. We're, we, we've got the prognosis from the doctor and we're, we didn't go back home and say, ah, no, nah, I don't, I, ah, that doctor's crazy, I'm healthy, I, I uh, exercise, I don't got cancer. Um, Anybody who's been affected by a family member who who has cancer, uh, who has had cancer, knows that not treating cancer is the quickest way to dying. Right. So we're at the stage now where we've at least acknowledged it, whether you you know, regardless of what side you sit on. And, you know, there are still people I still have conversations with. Some people who I consider friends who will push back and tell me that, you know, racism isn't as big of a deal as as people make it seem. And, you know, there's certain political agendas that are out there to push this narrative. Um, and my only advice for those people, or my only pushback for those people, is I'm a black man and I feel it. You know, I feel that racism exists, you know, and I can't be gaslit into believing that it's, you know, it's less than what I perceive. What I perceive is my reality, point blank, period, you know? Um, So I think that the first step is acknowledging that we have something corrupt that has existed for a long time. And with the advent of phones that capture everything, we are seeing what has existed and what has uh, perpetuated particular communities for so many years. And we are at the, uh, you know, the baby steps, the, the the fundamental growing ground to start to conceive of ways of how to eradicate this, this awful disease. And it happens through politics. It happens through education. Of course, social media is going to have a role to play in it. Um, And it happens through conversations like this and listening and learning and moving forward and thinking about ways that we can be better as individuals to um, give in to society, right? And uh, the next step, I'm not sure what the next step is, but I know that we are firmly entrenched in that first step of at least acknowledging that this is an issue and it has been an issue and this isn't just an American thing or something that happens down south. This is a, 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 a issue that has permeated our society um, regardless of of where you are,
0: hey, how, how's this for the to to reiterate the power of uh, the young perspective, Matthew? The power of of, of curriculum and teaching. Uh, Kathy's watching right now. She says, "I am one of those people that was brainwashed in the school system to support the white agenda." And it wasn't until my son came home from school and educated me on residential schools that I started to realize how privileged I am. And I'm so angry that I was lied to by my education system. That from Kathy. That's a pretty powerful comment right there.
3: Yeah, and and you know what? Just to touch back on the whole education system, it's it's more than just changing the curriculum. It's changing just like policing, right? You can change the policies to policing, but if you have individuals who go into that industry or go into that profession mm-hmm. with a mindset, they are that they are already subtly. Racist. Nothing is going to equal that. Nothing is going to make that better. And it's the good thing is we are doing better in education. And I do think that this George Floyd story, um, I do think that this story has captured the the so called zeitgeist of the 2020s. Hmm. Um, I think this is going to be a story um, that is going to you know push the spirit of this next decade moving forward and and again we're on the you know we there are fertile grounds that we're on right now and people are putting that work in and it just needs to continue moving forward where we have a collective consciousness of of doing better to each other as as people.
0: Uh, I've got a question uh, from Michael here and David will put this to you as we thank uh, the three of you for your time and we'll wrap up our conversation in, ju- in just a moment Michael says could please ask the panelists what ending racism looks like uh, we've sort of had to try to have that conversation for the past past hour um, but again I-, I think Michael's looking for something specific it says as somebody who's grown up with privilege what can I do to make society better what a great question uh, David, where, where should Michael start today and tomorrow?
4: I think it, it happens on two levels, Ryan. One is on the personal. Take a look at the people around you, your life, the places you interact every day, the people that you interact with. And to, and stop and consider what are the experiences of those people around you, the racialized people that you know in your workplace, in your school, in your neighborhood. Think about the impacts of your choices, your decisions on them, or what their experience might be like compared to yours. I mean, I'll be honest, Ryan, I grew up with a lot of privilege too. <laughs> I grew up in the white evangelical church, not much sense of black culture. And I, was, I had to undo a lot of that learning hmm. and a lot of my own perceptions of black culture and the world around me. And that came from listening from sitting down, talking to people, going places that I wasn't comfortable going before and being open to feeling uncomfortable and having to change those things. So that's the first thing I would encourage people to do. Really think carefully about the world that you're in directly in your neighborhood, in your community, and the people around you. And secondly, take a look at the other decisions we get to make. We're all part of a democratic system. We all participate in things every day where the choices we make in what we support and who we support will have a significant impact on the people around us. So I think taking the opportunity to think carefully and critically about how the choices we're going to make in the upcoming municipal election, in the provincial election in 2023, in the other systems that we are each part of and how those are going to affect People from racialized communities and the challenges that they are struggling with. And taking the opportunity, I think, to listen to a wider range of racialized voices. Journalists like Brandy, folks like Matthew who are out blogging and doing videos and putting out some very healthy and helpful perspectives. There's a ton of that out there. It's just a Google search away. So it's an opportunity for each of us to take an opportunity to learn.
0: Well, Real Talkers, you can you can start by following these three on social media. I've linked all three of them uh, as I do every morning before the show goes live uh, on my Twitter. And you can find it on my Instagram story as well. Start by following these three. Then you can do a dive uh, in, in, into learning more about where their efforts are going and, and and the more rich understanding of their perspectives. Brandy, we'll ask you to tie this one up for us uh, to wrap it up. Give, give us something to think about, to walk with today. And, and of course, perhaps more importantly than just today. Moving forward.
1: Well, I just want to thank you, Ryan, for doing this show and for doing the rev- revolutionary kind of, you know, work that you're doing uh, through your program. Um, I just challenge people to open their eyes, to open their eyes to uh, a world that they might not understand or um, know exists. And uh, you know, just take the steps to uh, do what David and Matthew recommended. You know, you can uh, dictate how you know policies and legislation are made, which does affect um, you know uh, our culture. It can inf- infiltrate you know uh, different systems that are you know overrun with racism. Um, but it ultimately does start at that level of genuinely. Um, wanting uh, to learn. And Ryan, when you were describing um, un- being unable to watch George, the, the full video yeah. um, of George Floyd's murder, and I haven't watched it, but that was coming from your perspective as not a white man. It was coming from your perspective as a human being
4: mm.
1: and looking and mourning another human being's life being taken. If we can come together at that level and see and understand each other as human beings, then I think that racism obviously is going to be, you know, eradicated much sooner. So again, hi, hi, thank you for the work that you do. And, and David and Matthew as well.
0: Hi, hi, Brandy. And thank you for that. I mean, you know, I've seen so many people today leaving comments about George Floyd. Nobody's saying rest in peace. Everybody's saying rest in power. And I Mm -hmm. think that that really says something. I am so grateful that Brandy Morin, David Shepard and Matthew R. Morris have, have given us an hour of your time today to have this incredibly important conversation. Thank you for challenging us. Thank you for putting things on our radar that may not otherwise have been there. Thank you in advance for the seeds that you have planted today that that will germinate and grow as a result of this conversation. You've empowered and enlightened so so many members of our audience, including me, and I greatly appreciate it. Thank you.
3: Thank you. Thanks,
0: Ryan. You bet. You can find those three again, as mentioned, uh, by checking out my Twitter uh, profile, my Instagram story. You'll be able to find their handles and, and give them a follow. Uh, Brandy Moore and David Shepard and Matthew R. Morris. In just a second, we're going to check in with the first basketball fan to ever wind up inducted into the basketball hall of fame we're so excited for this conversation let me remind you quickly that the team at local waste loves to talk trash so much so that as a matter of fact they sponsor a segment called trash talk here on real talk each and every friday your chance to get something off your chest whatever it may be you can send in your gripe your rant to talk at ryan trash talk presented by local waste a family-owned company that's been operating out of the province of alberta for a quarter century earning the trust of businesses oftentimes independently owned businesses one at a time they're not the big garbage guys the big international corporations that you know you want to talk to somebody but you want to negotiate a better deal you need some some help getting out of the contract that doesn't fit your business anymore and you get some 1-800 number that maybe somebody calls you back in 2 weeks that's not the case with local waste you can find them online you can talk to Mikel Lauren Chris via localwaste.ca anytime they'd love to earn your business the teams at Sherwood and St Albert Dodge want to remind you that May long weekend uh well that that ushers in the official beginning of summer across Canada it means a lot of people are going to be getting out to the great outdoors, getting the fresh air where they can find it, if that involves Maybe a new 4x4 for your family or something to pull that trailer. Maybe a new Ram truck. You won't find a better selection anywhere else. Not selection like you'll find at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. Of course, they consistently rank in the top 10 of Dodge dealerships across Canada. And because they can share inventories, you'll have better selection there than you will anywhere else. Go see our friends at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. Make sure you tell them Real Talk sent you. We also want to remind you that the team at Park Power powers our hashtag. Real Talk rj each and every morning they've been in the electricity and natural gas game coming up on 10 years and one of the big things we love about them is that they dedicate they commit 10 percent of their profits to go back into charities in the communities where they live and work check them out online their social media great tips on cutting back on power consumption electrical safety in your home or business if you use the promo code 2021 real talk at parkpower.ca you're gonna to get $70 off your first bill. Our thanks to the friends at Park Power for powering our Real Talk Hashtag. Well, he's the first fan ever inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame. You do not have to be a Toronto Raptors fan to recognize Nav Batya. He's he's easily, uh, in my opinion, one of the most recognizable fans in professional sport. He means so much to the franchise that when the Toronto Raptors won it all, when they won the NBA World Championship back in 2019, he was gifted a championship ring. It is such a thrill to welcome Nav Batya, Raptors superfan, to Real Talk. My man, thank you for being here and a good morning to you.
5: Thank you, Ryan. Thank you. First of all, I love your energy, man. I love your energy. <laughs> hey, I get to go now around for the rest of my
0: life saying Nav Batcha loves my energy. Now that's saying something, considering yeah. what <laughs> considering what people know you for. I mean, you have play, you you have endeared yourself in the hearts, I think, not just of Canadians but of basketball fans around the world. Where did your love for basketball begin?
5: it began you know i came to this beautiful country in 1984 in canada and uh, you know for the first 10 years just like any immigrant i spent the time to climatize myself to make me uh, put a roof on my on the head with, for my family and then i used to watch the big ones you know like michael jordan larry bird dr j on the television and when the raptors arrived in 95 I bought two tickets at that time. I could only afford two at the time, and I bought two tickets, and I have 13 now. But uh, I, I I fell in love on the very first day. It was the most entertaining game. It was the fastest game. And you know what? The way NBA has designed it, even between the whistles, you are ne- there's never a dull moment.
0: Look at that shot of you with, with Kyle Lowry. I should ask you, by yeah. the way, first of all, because I, I want to sprinkle in some basketball questions as well. Is Kyle Lowry, do you think Kyle, is Kyle Lowry the greatest Raptor of all time? Who do you believe to be the greatest Raptor of all time? Well,
5: he's great, but I believe Vince Carter is the greatest Raptor
0: ever. Yeah, I think you have to say that. Electrify. I mean, what was it? So you've never missed. Is it correct? You've never missed a home game. Is that accurate?
5: I've never missed a minute of a home game, never been late, never left a game early. When they were losing by 30 points in the fourth quarter or there were only 4,000 fans sitting, I was there.
0: So you you saw some of, I mean, when you say Vince Carter's most electrifying moments, those are some of the most electrifying moments in NBA history. I mean, he is one of the all-time greats, to be sure. Uh, Seeing the Raps play in front of 4,000 people, and then see the Raps win it all, beating the Golden State Warriors in 2019 to win a championship. What a, I mean, obviously for the franchise, what a journey, but what a journey for you as a fan. What will you remember about that championship run? What was most significant to you?
5: Well, first of all, you know, that run, the championship run was amazing. You know, I was right there on the court side in Oakland when we won the championship. And you know, two days later, when we had the biggest parade in the history of any sports on this planet, I was the grand marshal of the parade, a non-player, God blessed to be the grand marshal of the parade. And then on October the 22nd, when they did the ring ceremony, I was uh, given the same ring like Kyle, Laurie, Kawhi, the player's ring. And uh, you know, that was so amazing and touching that they consider a fan to be a part of the team as much as another player. And that was very touching, and that's where my Raptors and the NBA are so inclusive. And now, this last weekend, winning, getting into the Hall of Fame, Again, first time in the history of any sports, a non-player getting into the Hall of Fame and getting a Hall of Fame ring and own gallery in the Hall of Fame in Springfield, Massachusetts, with your uh, jersey, with your chair, with your uh, 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 replica of the ring. And then also my turban. The turban I wore during the Golden State Championship, white with my red band here, is now installed forever. Forever. In the Hall of Fame gallery.
0: I thought that your tweets. Uh, I want to show our audience this one. This this one actually gave me chills. Uh, when you tweeted, uh-huh. I made, you said, I made a promise as a kid to my mom that I would never remove my turban. Today, it is in the Hall of Fame. You tweeted, embrace what makes you different. It is your superpower. This is the crown I wear each day. Thank you, mom. I just got chills again reading that. I mean... Can you take and us into the significance of that your turban in the basketball Hall of Fame?
5: You know, it's it's so when they showed me when we did the ribbon cutting and then we they showed me unveiled my gallery. I tell you, I mean, I saw everything, but when I saw the turban, you know, it gives me chills also, and I teared up, you know. So it was a for a Sikh, especially, you know, because it's our uh, most essential part of our faith and it's now becoming a part for the year after year after year it's going to be there and people from all there are about 300 to four hundred thousand people who go to gallery every year are going to be able to witness this this is god's blessing god is great and it's the inclusiveness of the raptor of the nba and the hall of fame
0: now what is it about the end when you talk about about the nba to people Uh, And people that oftentimes are fans of a number, you know, you may have someone that loves NBA basketball, but they also love the NFL. They also love the NHL. Maybe they love Major League Baseball. People will say there's something different about the NBA. It's a player's league. You know, players can wear whatever sneakers they want. They, they, they dress a little bit differently coming into games. Not everybody has the stuffy suit with the tie, right? Players kind of wear whatever they want. There's that self-expression. I mean, think of LeBron James and, and others who have worn, you know, T-shirts, I can't breathe. You know, as we as we mark this, the, the one-year anniversary of, of George Floyd's passing, his murder, I should call it. Um, there, there, there's something about the NBA that's just different. Can, can you put it into words?
5: They are always on the right side of the cause, cause, and big capital letter cause, and that's what I love about NBA. They were the first one to stop the games with COVID. They were the first one to play in bubble, and they are always the first one to be on any social causes, and I tell you, NBA is becoming popular worldwide for that reason. Look at a guy with a turban, guy with a turban and beard who never felt belonged, no, has a belonging. I feel belonged. And I'm loved because of basketball. I can go to New York. I can go to Philadelphia. Philadelphia is the toughest arena for the non-fans of Philadelphia to be there. People spit on you there. But now, whenever I go there in Philadelphia, I get hugged and pictures. I take about two, 300 pictures. I get free coffee, free food from the fans. So this is what the basketball does. It brings the people together. And that's what I want to do for the last four years now. I've been working uh, with uh, my foundation, Nab Bakia Superfan Foundation. And I'm also, I must say, (coughs) the global ambassador for the biggest Christian organization in the world, World Vision. I'm the global ambassador. And I'm building washrooms in the different part of the world with World Vision, donating the money to them so that the girls can continue their education. And that's what I do. I build a basketball coach here. And this is giving me the opportunity. You're talking about basketball. Basketball is the one. Any sports bring the people together. But basketball, kudos to them. They bring the basketball together in the biggest way. And that's what my mission. Till I breathe my last breath, I'm going to continue bringing the people together.
0: I had no idea about your involvement with, with World Vision. Uh, that's that's fascinating. And and, I, and it, it's everything that's right about philanthropy and and altruism and 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 global action and all of these types of things. How did that how did that relationship come about? A, a sick man partnering with a, a Christian organization to, to to participate in these types of efforts?
5: Well on December 4th, 2016, they came to me along with a lot of other organizations when I was becoming a little bit popular. People wanted me to be their face of their organization in the fundraising and doing the projects. And I like the I like the uh, world vision because 84% of their money goes into the projects. And uh, they gave me this project and they told me now that uh, we want to do this project, but you're going to be killed by the your own people because we are a Christian organization. But I don't care if they're Christian or Muslim or Jewish or Hindu or Sikh. As long as we are inspiring the kids, I'm in. To me, doesn't matter. So they gave me this project where they had to build 135 washrooms in 35 schools where the girls were dropping out of the school when their period started and they were not continuing their education. And these were the poorest of girls. So I said, yes, I'm in with $340,000. I'm in and I, I guarantee that. And you know, with God's grace, we finished that project months ago and now i'm ready to sign with world vision another very big project with five hundred and fifty thousand dollars, with 200 washrooms in 50 schools and making some basketball courts for the girls to play basketball i'm really excited with world vision one of the best organization who has given the most satisfaction in my life when i see those girls going and continuing their education
0: you're an absolute legend i this is just not even you're not even you're like taking off. But I feel like there's another level. Do you feel that, too? Do you feel, do you feel like there's there's another level here?
5: Well, I'm blessed. I'm just all I'm going to say is I'm blessed. And like I told you earlier, I want to continue till my last breath to continue doing these kind of things.
0: It's amazing. You know, I, I, this is a this is a this is a tough one. Um, but uh, but one of our audience members, uh, Fatima, is drawing my attention to a, t- a tweet that she sent this weekend. She says, I've retweeted a, f- a five-year-old uh, sick boy over the weekend had his hair cut at school. Um, it looks as though the Dashmesh Culture Center, I'm just seeing it for the first time right now, deeply saddened to hear the news of a young sick boy having his hair cut by a bully. They say this type of behavior is totally unacceptable. This happened at at, at uh, in Abbeywood, Alexandra McLeod School. I'm not familiar with it. Uh, they say we want to let our young share know that the Calgary uh, Six Sangat and Six All Around the World support you. Stop bullying. Um, Fatima says that that someone like you Nav can make a huge difference for so many.
5: Uh, do you hear stories like this frequently? Yes, I do. I do, and it's a very sad. I'm not. It has not come across me yet but yes it has come like i was called two years ago there was a school which has a muslim girls wearing hijabs and people were bullying them so i went there i was i talked to the everybody in the school in front of a thousand kids and i told them not to do that it doesn't matter how we look what we wear deep inside doesn't matter if you're a christian hindu Whatever you are, deep inside, 99.99% we are all the same. This has to stop and we have to make sure it doesn't happen. But we have to do not through fighting, but through love. We have to stop this hatred, you know, and go, go through love as more powerful than hatred.
0: I love this. Uh, Hope is watching this morning. Says, "Holy man, you are just the buzz I needed this morning. (laughs) This is great. You're infusing energy into everybody's day on the heels of a long weekend now, so we we could use it." Can Can you tell us about the moment um, that you heard that you were going into the Hall of Fame? I mean, was Was this something that had been on your radar for a while? Did you get a phone call out of nowhere? How did this play out?
5: Last February the 10th, before COVID, I, they, uh, my manager came to me and told me that this is happening. And I thought he was pulling a quick one on me, you know. And then later on, I found out that, no, it was uh, true. But they had postponed. This was going to happen in last September, the ceremony in Springfield, Massachusetts. But because of COVID, they kept on postponing. But finally, this year, they decided uh, in March, uh, in May the 15th, to do it along with Kobe Bryant uh, Tim Duncan and Kevin Garnett you know so it happened and God is good like I said this is something which fans cannot dream of I never dreamt of and uh, it has happened and uh, along with all the fans of uh, basketball they are um, I'm, I'm going to take them all in this Hall of Fame along with me so they are honored they're also with me
0: you thanked your we saw that tweet there uh, you thanked your daughter Tia and and your wife arvinder uh you thank them for making a big sacrifice now i might assume what that means a guy owns 13 seats for an nba team the guy never misses a minute of of game uh, of any game that that indicates uh, some obvious sacrifice that your family may have made but what did you mean entirely
5: well what i meant was you know what i'm a i'm a super fan i'm loved all around the world but at home i'm not loved You know, I'm not a popular guy at home because I have missed my wife's wedding anniversaries. I have missed my her birthdays. Whenever I go by the raptor schedule, whatever is raptor schedule is the priority. Everything rest is the secondary. So, you know, she understand that by marriage, I have to tell you is hanging by a thin string. But as of now, I'm I'm married as of today. <laughs> but uh, who knows next?
0: Okay, you didn't you didn't take your wedding ring off to put the championship ring on,
5: did you? Well, no, championship ring went on this finger. Okay, the Hall of Fame ring is going here, so the ring is the wedding ring is gone now in <laughs> the story. Nef! Nef, no! No! <laughs> Absolutely
0: amazing. Hey, listen, I, I'm like, I don't even know what to say. We need to get you to Edmonton. Once COVID's done, we need to get you here in studio. I can only imagine. You're the type of guy that like you're beloved by Canadians, which means mean, does that still like when you do this, I can imagine. I, I don't know what it's like to rise to to fame. I don't know what it's like to be immortalized, inducted in a hall of fame. But do you still have these pinch me moments? Do you still have these moments where you're walking down the street and hundreds of people want, you know, 300 people want a photo with you in Philadelphia? Like, how, how do you process that?
5: You know, this is so good because this is what my dream is. To People shouldn't see if I'm wearing a turban or I'm wearing a hijab or what am I wearing? It's inside. And I, I think People are very intellectuals, you know. Everywhere I go, New York, Orlando, uh, California, Lakers, Golden State, when I went for the championship, I didn't have to buy coffee. People were there. The fans were ready to buy me the coffee. Milwaukee Bucks, you know, I go to Milwaukee Bucks game. I get so much love. So this is all good, positive thing. And I hope it continues. It brings the you know world together. And uh, invite me. You just said you will invite me to Edmonton. Please do that. And I'm going to wait for your invitation. And let's do a show together with your energy. And I'm going to you inspire me with your energy.
0: Well, I I'm just going to invite you now live and consider it done. I mean, we we've, we've we've been we've been putting together some pretty big plans uh, for some in person some large in person gatherings when we're able to do it. Now we will. I'm not BSing you at all here one bit. Uh, We will let you know well in advance when we're planning on doing that. And it would be our absolute delight and honor uh, to introduce you to some of our... We haven't even met our audience in person yet, right? We launched this show in COVID. We we had all kinds of big plans for big events that'll have live studio audiences. Not every morning, but many of them. And it would be my honor uh, to shake your hand and and also to take a, a look at that ring up close. Everybody loves to see a championship ring up close.
5: Bring both my rings there so that every Edmonton guy or gal can see. Especially the kids can take a picture with the rings. That's what I do every day when I go to the basketball game in the arena. Take my ring and let the kids wear the ring and get the bragging bragging rights the next day in the school. That's uh, all I want to do.
0: I love it. Yeah, br- bring your wedding ring too because just leaving on a road trip without your wedding ring, <laughs> if if, if, no, no, if, no, no, if the lo- not- if if the locks aren't changed already, Nav, that's when it'll happen. <laughs> Okay, okay, okay my right. man. Hey, th- this has been a real thrill. And uh, and you have infused just the most wonderful energy into this Tuesday morning. Thank you for making time for us. And I can't wait to meet you in person.
5: You very much stay safe. And uh, let's defeat this COVID altogether.
0: Thank you. Got you got it, buddy. That is legendary Hall of Fame Raptors superfan, Nav Bacha. Sir Hoyles is... Maybe the biggest Raptors fan I know. <laughs> I will gladly wear that title. Can, can I? Can Can we say that we had high expectations for Nav and he exceeded our expectations? Is that oh, a, Is yeah. that a fair assessment? Oh yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> buddy. I am. What did he say? Uh, not Not a celebrity at home. What did he say? I'm not. <laughs> His marriage just hanging on by a thread. <laughs> what a beauty this guy. I loved the comment here from
2: Miranda saying can uh, he can bring his wife
0: yeah to the party well of course of course of course Alyssa, uh, on a serious note says with regards to that that five-year-old boy that has haircut uh by a bully at school says that's not a bully that's assault yeah. um which it is another said that that I, I i wish i could see the comment in front of you, but someone said that that happened to an indigenous kid um in a school that they had heard of i mean that is just that is it's assault i mean let's call it what it is right um I mean it was done
2: at residential schools. Yeah. As soon as the kids were brought there, they had their braids cut off. So yeah. long history there.
0: Yeah. Well said. Yeah, Sharon Sharon's thinking exactly what I'm thinking. She says Nav and Gurdeep. Like, we're gonna do a little dance will dance bangra and we'll we'll have nav kind of maybe do i mean i I don't want to i don't want to sort of take my thing i mean i'm I'm pretty proud to have. i haven't pioneered the t-shirt toss for people that aren't oilers fans i'll have no idea what i'm talking about but in in regular life i'm i'm the purveyor of a little something called a t-shirt toss at edmonton oilers games it's one it's it's one of my life's greatest accomplishments but i'm thinking a t-shirt toss as carried out by nav Batya, might be Sort of a pinnacle of achievement for this show. Dang. We'll get everybody dancing. We're gonna have a catered event. You know, the, the the Jespo beer will hopefully be there if there's any left. Details to come on that later this month, and then we'll have Nav Bacha there rocking his all three rings. Yeah, <laughs> Hall of Fame championship and and maybe the wedding ring. We'll see if there's room. If there's room, you know, priorities. Everybody's gotta have their priorities he better have that ring. He better have that wedding ring yeah that's <laughs> just just for his own good he better have that wedding ring um what what an absolute beauty uh my face hurts from smiling terry just says nav and Gurdip together would just be wow <laughs> miranda says she almost caught one of my t-shirts at an oilers game All right, girl i i sort of take pride in that people would say to me people would tweet me back in the day i, will, I promise i won't get too off track here Uh, I don't know why I'm talking oilers today just to like sort of like bring the pain back on to like feel the pain It's like when you have a bruise you just keep pressing on it to feel the pain remind yourself but people would tweet at me and say like I'm going to be in section 226. I am four rows up and I will be wearing a blue T-shirt with orange trim. And from time to time, I would actually try to find the I'd I'd be kind of like in the corners in the back. And I'd be trying to and I'd say, oh, there they are. There they are. Now, it's one thing to be able to see people. It's another to be able to hit them with a T-shirt, though. That's a that's a whole different game. I learned early. You don't ever say exactly who you're throwing the T-shirt to because people will realize how atrocious your aim is right if you just say i'm going to pick a section pretty easy to hit sections so we'll leave it at that we want to remind you today that i had a great conversation over the weekend with with uh ryan and lisa who are big fans of, of real talk uh but the star of their household is their bulldog tony and tony uh first of all built like a bowling ball Tony. Tony. Tony, Tony, and he's got the he kind of got he's got this rumble like when he when he sort of trots through the room he just ru- t- it's like Tony's coming through uh, and and they were talking about Tony and, and and his diet and they were like yeah it's it's kind of not working out so I said wow well, Granddog.ca is where you're gonna want to go they've told me they're gonna be on the website today I said reminder if you use Real Talk the promo code they'll take ten percent off your first time order and because Ryan and Lisa live in the Edmonton area Grand Dog will deliver right to their door same deal if you're in California. Calgary, same deal if you're in Red Deer or Central Alberta, Grand Dog Quality Raw Food is a family owned and run business that has a team of nutritionists uh, that are able to consult with you and and help pups like Tony find that perfect dietary solution. Grand Dog Quality Raw Food. More details at granddog.ca. The team at Eden Landscaping knows that this is the time of year where all the dreaming when it comes to your backyard or maybe your front yard space, well, you're ready for it to become reality. Reality. But let's be honest, you don't want to be getting out the shovel, doing the doing the one call, finding out where all the services are, the power lines, your natural gas starting to dig in and put in that brickwork yourself or install. Come on, leave it to the professionals, the team that can hear you talk out your space. You know, Mike at Eden Landscaping. He's on Pinterest. He's got a he's a step ahead of me on that one. So you can show him your Pinterest board. You can show them what you have pinned to give them an idea of what you're hoping your dream can look like. And then, well, they make it happen. You can see some of the great work that they've done by checking out landscapeedmonton.ca. Eden Landscaping. You can find them under the sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. The team at Kubi Energy, of course, every week, our first show of the week, they infuse some positivity as they will do in just a moment with our segment, our feature, Positive Reflections. Kubi Energy is installing solar in residential, commercial and industrial applications across Western Canada right now. They've just done another round of hiring. They've built up even bigger their team of Tesla certified electricians and electrical apprentices. So you know that your sustainable energy job is being done right the first time. Plus, they handle all your paperwork. So you get back the cash you're entitled to by way of government subsidies, incentives, and otherwise. You can find Kubi Energy online at kubienergy.ca. As mentioned, the first show of every week, we present in partnership with Kubi Energy, Positive Reflections. Sam, why don't we tee up the video we got from Les? We got this from Les just a couple of days ago. He sent it into talk at ryanchesperson.com. I love this. He says, I love the way that nature adapts. For those of you that are listening to the podcast, we're, we're seeing what appears to be a family, what do you call them, a gaggle, right? A gaggle of geese? Is that the scientific term? A gaggle? I know I'm putting you on the spot, I oils. can fact check it, but yeah. I, I believe... Oh, the Real Talk resident fact checker. I, a... I believe it's a gaggle.
2: I, I, I confidently 90... Three 93 say, i say, like it gaggle
0: more than 90 less than 95 all right a gaggle of geese through the snow less says well some people don't like the late may snow these geese with their goslings just adapt and carry on i love it a lesson we can all learn how about this one this submission really rocks i'm trying to make sam roll his eyes so hard he gets a migraine headache This is from Corrine and David. They say, good positive morning from Sylvan Lake. Amidst the doom and gloom and the grumpiness of this past year, some folks in Sylvan Lake have amped up a project called Sylvan Lake Kindness Rocks. They say, almost anywhere you walk in our community, you can find a specially designed and painted rock they say every time we spot one, it brings a smile to our face people are spreading kindness hope and love around the community it's suggested when a person finds a rock they move it to a new spot and anybody and everybody is welcome to decorate rocks to so-called hide Karine and david say they've they've, they've started uh, their rocks and they're absolutely in love with the project and they say as kids head back to school this coming week they planned for at least one of the classrooms to create kindness rocks they're using the hashtag kindness rocks so that they can be placed around this beautiful central alberta lake community say kareen and david it's the small things that are so big i absolutely love that how about this one from colette who says she hashtags this she says this is a a cake a custom cake that colette did for a volunteer firefighter check out the detail on this if you're listening to the podcast you can find positive reflections by the way as a standalone file on our youtube channel so you can watch just the four or five minutes on its own colette did an absolutely incredible job as you can see on this cake and we love the hashtag submitted to positive reflections am i doing that right you sure are colette and what a beautiful job very well done we love this. Kimberly brought this to our attention. If you want to check it out, the story behind it, you'll find it at yyctimes.ca. For over a month, Karen and other artists in Calgary have been painting the pathways of the Dover community. Now, this is in partnership with, with Calgary and the Dover neighborhood affiliation. It's, it's doodles like, you know, flowers and footprints and hopscotch and a very distinctive pathway system in calgary's southeast the founders say it seems no matter how old or young folks might be everybody loves a game of hopscotch this is a way that people are finding positivity and sharing their positive spirit with others down in calgary we love that this is an amazing one from Nick. Nick sent this in just moments ago. About, well, about an hour ago, right before we went on the air. This is hilarious. Nick was r- running through the drive through We'll forgive Nick that it's not at a Dairy Queen of Northwest Edmonton in Sherwood Park because Nick was out in Elk Island. And what do you want him to do? But check this out. Horses. Horses going through the drive through near Elk Island. On his way out, that was in Fort Saskatchewan, as a matter of fact, on the way out of Elk Island. Absolutely hilarious. And this one Well we're going to wrap on this today Robert wrote in on May 20th He said I don't know if this is a positive reflection or not But it is for me He said today is the anniversary of the passing of my best pal Kipper There's Kipper Looks like a purebred beagle to me I think you think so, Sarah? I think so, Kipps. Either way, Kipps, a beautiful, beautiful boy. Aww. Robert, the way that he phrased this, he said, one year ago today, I had to make that terrible choice between his pain and mine. Oof. He says, I was reflecting on him today and going through some old pictures and I found this video of Kipper singing and we recorded it because it was such odd behavior. And he only sang one particular song by a band called Ten Years After, the song I'd Love to Change the World. And Robert says, I was learning the song because my dad said it was his favorite song and I wanted to teach him how to play it. And I realized that the more I played the song, Kipper really loved it and I play it now whenever I miss him and everybody smiles. Robert says, the last gift that Kipper gave me was the, I'm going to start crying. He says, it was the release of all my stored emotions as things were pretty heavy a year ago. And he said, and, and, and I've been grieving through his death and I ugly cried. He said, I ugly cried so much that even Arlene Dickinson on Real Talk would be proud. <laughs> Great reference from Robert. He says, the quality of the video is not great. The sound quality is not poor. So you guys probably can't air it. And I said, I said, yeah, right. I said, yeah, right. He said, most importantly, though, maybe Sam can give Sophie and and maybe Sarah can give Ranger and Ryan can give Moses and Monroe an extra hug from Kipper and I. And I wish all the Real Talk Pups love and wellness. So we're going to go out today listening to Kipper. A shout out to all the pet owners out there. Squeeze them tight today.